and we are recording and we are live now. So, uh, good morning, good evening, and uh, welcome everyone to the Sorajya Q&A in collaboration with Indic Academy uh, with Dr. Arup Chatterjee, author of the acclaimed book on Mother Teresa, The Final Verdict. This webinar is a uh, untold, story, untold story, untold story at the moment. Mother Teresa, the untold story. story. I'm, I, I'm sorry. Yes, the untold Second. story. This webinar is especially topical since today is the day the late Mother Teresa Catholic nun and missionary and recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize is being canonized as a saint by the Catholic Church. I'm your host, Abhinav Agarwal, and I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Rup Chatterjee, who joins us from London. Is that right? Uh, uh, yes, correct. I'm in London at the moment. I was in so many places. Yes, I'm in London. So, uh, so Arup Chatterjee is the author of Mother, uh, as I said, Mother Teresa, The Untold Story, a detailed factual analysis and bursting of the several myths surrounding Mother Teresa. The book was first published in 2003 and a reprint came out earlier this year in 2016. And what this book reveals about Mother Teresa is perhaps just as, dis as disturbing as what it says about India as a society that, frankly, we still seem to be in the throes of, uh, of uh, mental colonization in Luke Chatterjee's words, and I quote, "Is anonymity before the white man is a norm. These are strong words indeed, and I hope to ask him questions around this in this webinar. So, Arup Chatterjee, before we begin, some people say it is not nice manners to criticize someone who's dead and therefore unable to defend herself. And you do address this in your book's introduction itself, where you write, and I quote, criticisms of her peaked during her lifetime. And prior to the documentary Hell's, An Hell's Angel, an article in The Guardian in 1996, another documentary that several European television channels broadcast in January 97, and a devastating critique you write by the German magazine Stern on her first death anniversary. You write in your book that you wrote to her several times asking for a formal interview, but never got even a response. And it was not that she was interview shy, you write that she spent an entire day talking to the magazine Hello for an interview in 1994. How do you then address those who still persist with the line as to why now, why after her death, and so on? Well, I've been doing it for the last 20 years. It's not why now. I, I can say, for me, the criticism has speak today or yesterday uh, because the world, uh, not India, I must point out, the rest of the world, most of the rest of the world want to know the other side. But... Uh, we did I did start the criticisms very much when she was alive, but not she was elderly, but very much she was alive. So I, it's not that, you know, why, why can't we criticize? I mean, if I die, I'm sure people will criticize me. It's not that you can't criticize anybody's legacy. You are, you're especially of such, a, such, such an icon. Um, and and uh, it's a very sad day for India, actually. On the one hand, uh, as I said, uh, they, many people have said that if, if there was a Hindu miracle or a Muslim miracle, uh, liberal Indians and the Indian government would completely run it down. If, if a Hindu woman or a Muslim woman said, you know, contraception is evil, abortion uh, under any circumstances should be evil and should be banned. Can you imagine the furore in India and in the uh, liberal uh, gymkhana clubs and all that? So it is a sad day for India. It, it is a good day for superstition and witchcraft. Uh, and, and, and as, as um, Abhinav puts it very well, uh, it, 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 the way Indians have behaved during this saga, actually, we should hang our heads down in shame. Strong words indeed. Uh, uh, this is a victory for superstition and witchcraft and that Indians should hang their head, their head in shame. Uh, let us now start with where all of this began because mother teresa was not the only nun from the catholic church and for that if uh, readers read you have read your book they will uh, they will know that uh, for this we have to start with a gentleman named malcolm muggeridge and you write that muggeridge was a brilliantly anti-semitic person who believed and i quote that liberal values were a bigger threat to christendom than was hitler and who referred to the Nobel laureate Rabindranath Tagore as the old fool. And yet it was Muggeridge who made the 1969 BBC documentary Something Beautiful for God, which catapulted Mother Teresa to international fame. The Catholic Times said after Mother Teresa's death that had it not been for Muggeridge, perhaps even now, no one would have heard of her. And you describe a scene in this documentary where Mother Teresa imitates Jesus using mud to give sight to a blind boy. And you write, and I quote, when it came to publicity, she was a born natural. 
please, can you tell us something about what you call uh, this as the first row of a fan club? What, what do you mean by the first row of a fan club? Well, the, um, Muggeridge was obviously there and he started the myth. Without Muggeridge, Mother Teresa wouldn't have happened. That's absolutely positively, um, absolutely sure about that. He came to Calcutta in the 1930s when uh, obviously they didn't meet because she was a nun in the cloisters and Muggeridge was a, was a deputy editor of the Statesman newspaper. He, he, he had intercourse with as many women uh, as he could, uh, including the uh, Indian lady, um, half Indian, half Hungarian, Amrita Shergill, very talented uh, painter, who, whose portrait of Margaret still hangs in Delhi's uh, National Portrait Museum. Um, after having intercourse with her, Margaret said that she was a filthy, uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, a filthy Jewess. Um, so this is the sort of man he was. He wanted to ban contraception for other people, including in Edinburgh University, where he was a rector for a little while. But he uh, himself obviously had so many affairs and used contraception non-stop. So, this is the hypocrite, bigot, anti-Semite, uh, crypto-fascist that Muggeridge was. And this is, I'm not surprised that this is the sort of man who would be drawn to her. So he found her in 1969, uh, 68, I think, one year before the mega documentary that uh, really launched her. So when he found her in London uh, on a brief interview, she realized, he realized that she was anti-conception and totally anti-abortion. She was rather silly. And this is a Catholic concept. Um, uh, I think they call it uh, the idiot um, saint, that if you are silly, you are non-intellectual, uh, uh, but you are very holy. And that apparently elevates you to, to some kind of Catholic pedestal. So Muggeridge obviously realized that this is a, that's just the sort of person. Little did he realize, I'm sorry, there are a lot of Indians who are obviously listening to this, that the Indian population were just the same. So he knew, he probably didn't know, but he didn't care that if you sold this person to an Indian uh, population, that there, would, there wouldn't be any protest. So that's what he did. He made the documentary, Something Beautiful for God, which uh, went out in 1969. Don't forget, this was the age of single channel television, and we were thoroughly impressed. Then he took her to the United States, where the real religious people lived with lots of money. In Europe, she was forgotten. In, in, she wasn't quite forgotten in Europe. She was just you know, kind of marginalized. Then in America, he went on tour after tour after tour, promoting her and kept saying that there was a miracle in a home for the dying. Kodak had a film which couldn't have had a color in, uh, uh, well, it was filmed in light, uh, it, sorry, in darkness and everything was fine. So this was a miracle for Mother Teresa. Light shone from the heads of the residents. And many years later, the cameraman who took uh, the, the, the film, Ken, Ken Macmillan, I think his name was, um, he came out and said that this was complete humbug and complete balderdash. This was a f new film that Kodak was marketing, and I used that film. And he said, look, I didn't want to say anything. Was, people were so obsessed with this, and Muggeridge was so obsessed with this, and I thought it was such a small detail that nobody in Britain even believed it. America believed it through final center. So from then on, he, tried, he promoted her constantly, and he was, uh, I think he, he was one of the nominators at one point uh, to the Nobel Prize. But, but, he couldn't nominate because he wasn't high enough. But he uh, approached Mac, Robert McNamara, the, one of the architects of the Vietnam War, I think who nom nominated her three or four times for the um, two, two or three times for the Nobel Peace Prize. In the end, she got it, uh, obviously. It was a fair complete that she would get it the way her campaign was run with, with lots of money, lots of political clout, especially from the United States. So Muggeridge was a thorough hypocrite, a complete anti-Semite. Um, uh, a, a ruthless person who said that the uh, atom, atom bomb in, in Japan was overblown because he was a Western imperialist and he, he didn't think that um, Eastern suffering is important. So when he went to uh, the Hiroshima and saw all the vaporized bodies, he said they're all you know a bit too much, they're over the top, it couldn't have happened. But this is the sort of man he was. And this is, and this is just, just the sort of man Mother Teresa attracted. And this is the man who built her up. And, you know, I mean, again, you know, why do Indians not question all this? I'm, I'm pained. Strong words indeed. I, uh, when, you know, you talked about the, the, the incident with the Kodak film. Uh, in, 
in, in the 1994 documentary, uh, Hell's Angel, I believe uh, you had yes. a hand in, 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 in sort of, you know, putting a, a, a Christopher Hitchens onto, onto the so-called miracle mm-hmm. of Mother Teresa. Would you like to, uh, you know, talk about it, uh, how this uh, documentary came about and what, uh, and how you, uh, what role you had to play with the, with Christopher Hitchens? Uh, I'm really, I'm really happy that you, you researched the whole thing uh, quite thoroughly. Which is which? Which is good, very good. Um, the, the, yeah, you're quite right. 1994 February, I went to Tariq Ali, who's a Trotskyite, and who had a television production company called Bangdum Productions. Uh, I I went to his secretary without any introduction, um, Vania Del Borgo, an American lady who was working for him. He wasn't actually involved in the decision making. Vania was mostly. So she said to me, "Send me." I rang her without any introduction. She, she said to me, send me a one-page, fax me, uh, because I'm a, I'm a fax age person, fax me a one-page proposal, which I did. She took it to Channel 4, and the commissioning editor was, Val, was Valdemar Januszcza, big name. He said, fine, we'll do the film. We'll give you 30,000 pounds. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't obviously take any money. And they gave, her, gave Bangum 30,000 uh, pounds, and they uh, decided to do a 30-minute documentary, but without traveling to India. And uh, Christopher Hitchens' involvement was just this. Vanya knew, Vanya was looking for somebody to present the film, and she knew Hitchens from her, her nation days, the nation of the newspaper in America. And she thought that Hitchens would be a good person to present the film, which, which he was. So Hitchens was given all the material, which, which I must say mostly Vanya actually collected. I was the brains behind the whole thing, but Vanya was the main researcher. I obviously helped with contacts here and there. And Hitchens was the one who wrote the script. It wasn't his documentary. Anyway, that's, I want to just rectify it for the sake of history. Uh, and uh, from then on, uh, I, you are absolutely right. Ted McKinnon spoke in that film, um, saying that this whole thing about the miracle, about the light was rubbish. Um, and from then on, obviously, she was very much alive at the time. Teresa was alive. And from then on, the, 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 the critique of, of this lady started... And, and then I started my book, and then I, you know, there are lots of other people took on in the West. In, in India, it was paralysis. And I, I, I can tell you this, some of my extended family stopped inviting, inviting me to weddings and things because they thought I was dangerous. Their children would be expelled from their convent schools if they, if they knew they were associating with me. So, you know, I didn't care, to be honest with you. I, you know, but the fact is that the, I was... Personally, I was also bloody paralyzed when I saw the, the reaction from Indians. You know, I thought, I really, really thought Calcutta has such a bad name, such a bad reputation. If I start this campaign, the people in Calcutta would love me. What a bloody idiot I was. <laughs> so uh, let me, I think that, that forms a perfect segue into my next question, which is that, uh, you know, the demonization of Calcutta and the deification of Mother Teresa seem to go hand in hand. You write that there is uh, an East-West element in all this, and I quote, it is comforting for a white person to know that there is a corner of the world called Calcutta which can be portrayed as the white man's ultimate burden with impunity and without guilt. So uh, can you elaborate on the role of uh, someone like Dominic Lapierre, whose book The City of Joy and later the movie you demonstrated was quite a stunning concoction of fiction, filth, and bile. The book sold over 8 million copies and many Indians who bought it uh, have also very likely bought into the vicious lies it propagates. Can you tell our viewers about Mother Teresa's complicity in encouraging these stereotypes? Why the West, Absolutely. Should, uh, why should the West be so interested in, in helping propagate these myths about Calcutta? And you write that actually when Muggeridge came to Calcutta, he was coming there uh, to, to, you know, for a better life, to make more money than he otherwise would have with his, uh, you know, editor's, uh, uh, deputy editor's job. And what the reality of Calcutta was, even when people like Lapierre were, were portraying Calcutta as a city of filth. Well, uh, I mean, Mother Teresa obviously supported Lapierre to the hilt. In, later on, they fell out and Lapierre was personal on Grata. And some people said that Lapierre had to pay Mother Teresa a lot of compensation because of some kind of slander he made about a, about a nun that who could be identified as a former prostitute or something. But anyway, the, the thing is that she wrote a blurb for him on the Warner Brothers edition, edition of, of his book. The Pope, John Paul II, she wrote a similar blurb. Uh, in, in, in his book, Lapierre says that Ramakrishna Mission nuns uh, were collecting 
children after the flood and, and prostituting them. He, he obviously twisted the language. He said, people who wore the ochre robe of the, uh, ochre robe of the Ramakrishna mission. And then he said that I didn't actually mean Ramakrishna mission rams. I, I meant people who were wearing their robes. So can you imagine? Uh, and, and, and surprisingly, but probably not surprisingly, Ramakrishna mission was completely silent. They didn't make a hullabaloo about this. They wrote a short letter of protest and they got a letter uh, of apology and, and one lakh, a check for one lakh rupees, which they sent back. And they thought that they're very glorious and holier than thou. They should have taken that man to the court and shred him or make a big fuss about it. But they are paralyzed also. And the, uh, the, the person who is, uh, who the main character, Kowalski is based on, his name is Gaston, Gaston Dainam. He runs a home near Calcutta where any practice you can imagine of the worst nature uh, goes on. Uh, everybody knows that in that village. Um, the, 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 the company is called the organization called ICOD, Institute of something, um, ICOD, ICOD, in, in, near in West Bengal, but not very far from Calcutta. The, there are villages often see flickering scenes on computer screens from inside the home where you can see what goes on, what, what sort of films are shown. And uh, there was a child who was kidnapped, well, he was removed from the mother who gave birth in that particular place and sold for 50,000 rupees when they said that the child was taken to another hospital, to a hospital because she had joined this. Uh, and then they said the child had died. Lapierre knew all about this. So Lapierre and Teresa worked hand in hand, hand in hand to denigrate Calcutta and the Pope as well. It is, to, for people outside Calcutta, it's not a major issue. I think it's, uh, it's Calcutta's who should make, take up this, uh, this battle, which they are not, because they are stupid. I do think that denigration of Calcutta is also denigration of the whole of India in a sense, because they are, we are shown to be helpless, desperate people who cannot look after ourselves, feed our children, clothe our, ourselves with our children, and we depend on uh, an Albanian nun to, to, to do these things for us. And what can I say? I mean, Calcutta Corporation and government, some government of India departments call their, uh, West Bengal uh, government departments call uh, the city, city of joy. So, and the newspapers, of course, and they're obviously, you know, they can't think for themselves. So this is how the Lapierre connection came to be. And I'm really ashamed again, you know. Yeah, I call it interreligious center of development. Absolutely, you're absolutely right. Uh... I don't know what to say. I, I, I want to, uh, uh, you know, you talked about the, the, the sordid doings at the ICOD. I want to use that to turn to uh, some very dark and frankly, very disturbing aspects that you bring to light in your book. You write that Mother Teresa's Missionaries of Charity in the year 1980, that is just one year after she was uh, awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. And I quote, she falsified the documents of seven-year-old Sonatan Dhal and sold him to a Belgian Catholic couple for 1.25 lakh rupees, which is $16,000 in those times. Later on, a grown-up Sanatan found 74 such orphans only in Belgium. This is a huge amount of money that Mother Teresa's Missionaries of Charity was earning through the sale and trafficking of children. And I, I, I use the word trafficking because you write that in 2002, a reporter spoke with Dr. Kunal Day, who was a prominent member of West Bengal's Juvenile Justice Board, and who said that this was a case of trafficking. And he also implied, as this was Mother Teresa's order, no charge or action would be forthcoming. And you described the Indian reaction to this expose as spineless craven. And frankly, I still find it very difficult to believe firstly how Mother Teresa could be complicit or an accessory to these horrific crimes. And even more surprisingly, how could the media in India and the West choose to turn a blind eye to these crimes? I don't know. You should, I, I think you should ask the media in India. I mean, the, 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 I, I laud the reporters from a very, very like minor Calcutta channel called Conch Khabar, who actually took this on. And they showed it many times, to be honest with you. But it's the challenge is not closed down. But uh, they were knocking on many doors to get a reaction. You know that this is a, a gross violation of human rights, and this man is really desperate, you know, distraught, trying to find his sister, who he thinks probably wrongly, probably rightly, that she was alive, and this so many so many other uh, children had been sold in this sort of way. 
So what what do we do about this? And I'm sure if you and I did this, you know, they would arrest us and shut us down. But Mother Teresa's order, nothing is done. I, I think it's disgraceful. I mean, I can't, I can't actually, I don't have words to describe this, to be honest. And it's, uh, you know, Mother Teresa's missionaries of charity, they have received tens of millions of dollars over the decades from India and across the world. And for some reason, her main banker was the Vatican Bank. And in 1981, you write, Mother Teresa's order became one of only 15 organizations belonging to the Vatican Bank to be investigated for money laundering. After a scandal broke out linking the Banco Abrogiano of Milan, in which the Vatican Bank held a significant stake, you write that many respectable Catholic charities withdrew their accounts, but not Mother Teresa. Why did the mother maintain such a high level of secrecy behind her accounts? And why was it so important for her to keep depositing the funds the missionaries of charity received with the Vatican Bank? And, uh, you know, why has not anyone demanded accountability into where those uh, millions, you know, probably hundreds of millions of dollars have gone? Well, she didn't care. I think it was arrogance and also, also her fealty to the Catholic Church and to the Vatican. I must say that the many, most Catholic charities have st- do not keep their funds uh, account with the Vatican Bank anymore. They stopped doing that, you know, like um, uh, KFOD and thing, uh, or, you know, respectable organizations like that. They don't have accounts in the Vatican Bank. They have accounts in normal banks, but not so the mission of the charity. Again, you know, if you, if you don't question this, if you don't ask questions, if Indian journalists don't ask questions, why Mother Teresa? Also, the Vatican Bank is not totally an Indian issue because the, uh, they, the money that they get abroad, that goes there. The money that they get in India, they don't, they don't actually send it to the Vatican Bank because probably they can't. But on the other hand, much of the money they could they get abroad, they could have sent it to India, but they refuse not to. It's a, it's, it's a secretive, very sinister organization. And as you might have also read in my book that Roberto Calvi was uh, murdered by the Vatican, by apodictics of the Vatican Bank because he knew, knew too many secrets, and then his murder was uh, made to appear as suicide. Then obviously the British government realized that it was a murder, and, and they, the family know now it's a murder. It was by the, the by the high top brass of the Vatican Bank when Pope Paul, John Paul II was very much alive and uh, the greatest friend of Mother Teresa. So again, you know, it, it, it's their choice where they keep their money. I, you can't tell them, but you have to realize that no other respectable Catholic charity also keeps their account there. It's only very strong right-wing past Catholics, crooks, and people with a lot of things to hide maintain accounts in the Vatican Bank. You know, you, you made the point that uh, uh, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the missionaries of charity could not uh, uh, transfer the funds they received in India uh, abroad. But it will, I think, is pertinent to look at uh, what the missionaries of charity did with the money that they received. And if we go back more than 40 years, in the year 1974, you say that the missionaries of charity received in the UK 117,000 pounds, of which they sent 80,000 pounds to Rome. And to the home of the dying in Calcutta, they sent 45 pounds. Not 45,000 for our viewers, four, four, five, 45 pounds. The next year, missionaries of charity got 148,000 pounds in the UK, and they managed to send all of it and some more amounting to 170,000 pounds to the Vatican, the home for the dying again got 238 pounds. And coming closer to India in the early 1990s, you write that when an Indian journalist did manage to obtain the missionaries of charities accounts from the registrar of trusts in Calcutta, which they were obliged to do file the returns being a charitable organization and 80 year an 80-year-old Mother Teresa personally went to the Registrar of Trust's office to let loose a diatribe. Why this? I can, I can understand so many other things, uh, or maybe I cannot, and this is just one other part that becomes very difficult to understand about a person who's being canonized today. Uh, my question is, just how much money was Mother Teresa and the missionaries of charity spending on the poor in Calcutta? And did the missionaries of charity construct anything permanent, lasting, or, or on scale by way of a clinic, a hospital? Uh, what was their, their contribution? 
Well, uh, yeah, it's good that you uh, brought up this question of that uh, register of trusts and funds because he, he blocked me from looking at the accounts, although I, I, had, uh, I was entitled to look at them. He said, when I asked for, I, I wrote to him, asked for, I had to give written, um, get written permission from him. Uh, um, he said, like a complete slave, I cannot give you permission because it's there, it's missionaries of charity. I have to ask permission from Sister Nirmala. I said, why? She's not the head of your organization. He said, no, I have to do it because it's missionaries of charity. So he wrote to your Sister Nirmala, Dr. Chatterjee wants to see your account. Do you allow? And she said, no, I don't allow him. Uh, like a real slave, he said, no, I can't allow you because Sister Nirmala says no. Anyway, so, um, no, he, they haven't built anything. That so-called home for the dying, it's a concentration camp. It's, it's, it's a dire cave. I don't even call it, call it a home for the dying. Nobody reasonable would call it that. The orphanage is kind of permanent. Again, it's very dire. All I can say, they haven't been to clinic, they haven't been to hospital, anything near to the hospital, to a hospital. All I can say is that with, with Mother Teresa's funds, the support she has got and the lack of scrutiny that she has got, if anybody, any other organization got the same kind of level of uh, adulation, funds, uh, support, volunteers, etc., etc., they would have built gleaming towers. And they have, this order, they have done practically nothing. And all they have done is negative, harmed more people than they have actually helped. It, I should, I think, uh, compare, uh, uh, you know, for our viewers, and, uh, you know, you, you, you don't just leave it at that statement by saying that, uh, you know, the missionaries of charity have not done anything permanent. You actually compare missionaries of charity with the Ramakrishna mission, which is, uh, you write the largest charity in India and also headquartered in Calcutta. And, and you take uh, uh, what you say is a random year, which is 1993-94, and the comparison is stunning, I must confess. So, whether a drought in Bihar or Gujarat, or floods in Assam, West Bengal, Tamil Nadu, Pondicherry, Gujarat, or an earthquake in Latul, the Ramakrishna Mission was there giving aid, but not Mother Teresa's organization, not one single instance. The mission, the Ramakrishna Mission, treats half a million people at its charitable dispensary. You write that the missionaries of charity has none. It treats its, its scale of operations in terms of giving aid, in terms of providing medical care, is uh, next to nothing compared with the kinds of funds that they receive, right? Yes, I would say that. But the Ramakrishna Mission is a supporter of her, in, in tacit supporter, because they are also very afraid to come out to, to criticize her because they think that uh, it would be counterproductive. Uh, all the previous head of the Ramakrishna Mission said um, very grudgingly, but she was publicity seeking. And he was attacked by uh, in the media and by the public, saying that it was very insensitive, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I, you know, what can you say? I mean, if they themselves don't publicize themselves, if they don't say to people that look, you know, this woman is reusing needles, she said she keeps on saying we should love people with HIV. On the other hand, if you go to her home for the dying, until 2009, if you went to the home for the dying, if you went a, a well person, you come out with HIV because of shared needles. People are not addressing these issues. I mean, I'm really astonished. Um, everything she said was was built on a pyramid of lies, and um, uh, I, I would like and, and also be as I said to you that you know the city of lie, city of joys, the the lie by Clapier about mother uh, about Ramakrishna mission monks kidnapping children and selling them for prostitution. Absolutely no basis on that. It is the Catholic Church, with, with, which, is got the, which is the headquarters of the, of the world pedophilia, the Vatican is, and um, they kept quiet. So what is, what is this kind? Is it humility? Is it cowardice? I don't know. In, so, you know, the, the, the head of the Ramakrishna Mission, you said, said that Mother Teresa was, you know, grudgingly, he said that, he, that she was publicity shy and there was quite a ruckus created. I want to bring to our publicity seeking. Publicity seeking. Publicity sorry. seeking. Sorry. <laughs> yes, the opposite. And you do, uh, you know, dwell the upon the last one, the late, late. Okay. Uh, you do dwell upon this topic for a little a bit in your book, and you cite the example of Sunanda K. Dutturay, the former editor of the Calcutta Statesman, who, who, who was supposed to interview Mother Teresa, and a day before the interview, I believe, uh, he went to her office and asked. 
and I quote, slightly uncomfortable questions to do with theological issues. And the, and, and, and the net result was that he found himself summarily removed from the interview the very next day. Or when Calcutta's local journalists went to see Mother Teresa about some topical issue, were told that the mother had suddenly taken ill. But the very next moment when one of the journalists, Subroto Basak, the Associated Press representative in Calcutta sent in his card, was immediately ushered in. So this seems to have been a very uh, a, you know, uh, successful, calculated ploy of, uh, of cultivating the right kind of publicity. So my question is, uh, to what end? Because if her work was truly, uh, you know, as the name suggested, missionaries of charity, it should have spoken for itself. Is it fair then to say that uh, there was little behind the work that Mother Teresa was supposed to have been doing and that the, her real agenda was something else? Well, yeah, the real agenda was actually flying the uh, flag of a very rigid, very negative kind of Catholicism. Um, uh, uh, obscurantist, uh, extremely uh, backward Catholicism, which opposes contraception and abortion um, to, to take the Vatican's message as far as she could. So for this end, she would do anything she could. Uh, and she exactly knew which uh, reporters and journalists to quote. Uh, even for picture taking, she would prefer a white person to an Indian person because she probably knew that the uh, picture would go far. Her semi-official photographer was no, not an Indian person, but a Japanese person because obviously she knew that Japanese technology would give her better pictures. So I think she was very canny when, when, when it came to publicity, and this sort of this image of this wispy nun who was sort of bumbling and fumbling and humble and falling over is so rubbish that, uh, and unfortunately, again, the Indians bought into it for financing. I so uh, I. I there was, a, you know, uh, you, you, you talk about this 1992 uh, video that was recorded where Mother Teresa is, uh, uh, you know, I think you refer the word gloatingly, uh, you know, sort of uh, talks about having converted 29,000, uh, you know, people. Uh, what is the background of that? Why, when was it recorded and, and how is it, uh, uh, you know, pertinent today? Oh well, I mean, I, I, if, if you I, if you, I tell you how I got the video, then you wouldn't believe it. It was it was it wasn't. I wasn't. I didn't have to. I didn't have to do a, a lot of. Um, well, it came to me in a very natural way. Let's put it this way, and I've had it since okay. since 1994. Uh, I had sat on it because I didn't want to foment uh, communal type things, and also I'm being an atheist. I'm not against conversion per se. If you want to. Uh, convert adults want to convert uh, willingly, even if for love or money or or a billy goat. Uh, I I actually thought that this video would uh, gi give fuel to 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 uh, and co may cause some communal unrest. So I hadn't uh, publicized it in the past. Uh, however, again, I'm really disappointed when people, uh, you know, the the the, the chief of RSS uh, is it Mohan Bhagwan? Is it uh, right? Um, the Mohan Bhagwan, yeah, right. he he was pilloried by liberal media for saying Mother Teresa had a conversion agenda, and even then I didn't publicize the video. But when I've publicized it now, and I've sent it to Indians from all across the political strata, all across the religious strata, uh, nobody's bothered. Nobody's saying that look, you know, this is a woman we always thought that she was so uh, good to other religions, she was so liberal to other religions, but she used to say it was like a parrot. I, I help Hindus to become better Hindus. I help Muslims to become better Muslims. This is complete bullshit. So I met, the video says, says very categorical that I was converting, I have converted 29,000 dying people. That there is a theological issue in that. In, in Catholicism, uh, normally a priest can convert. But if you are in, in a dire situation, an emergency, anybody can convert. Because obviously the Catholic Church wouldn't let the chance of conversion go. So she did convert, uh, according to her, in her own words. And lots of volunteers have told me also that this went on. But again, I, to be honest with you, I'm in two minds on this, because I don't want this to become a huge a communal issue. On the other hand, this should be known by people, that this woman who they think was such a divine soul was doing this. It's a very low, low-level thing, that you're, you are exploiting vulnerable people in your, uh, who are actually under your roof. I think it's extraordinarily depraved. 
And I think that Bharat, my, my personal wish is that Bharat, Bharat Ratna should be recalled. Well, I, I, I think uh, the, the realism, uh, we have to accept that nothing of that sort is going to happen because uh, uh, people have been asking for an investigation into the millions uh, of dollars that uh, the missionaries of charity received. But, uh, uh, you know, no investigation has, has taken place in the you know, 20 odd years uh, since uh, her death in 1998, I believe. But uh, 97, sorry. So, in uh, I, I want to now get to the closing of our uh, Q and A, uh, Rup Chatterjee, and I have a couple of questions here. The first one is that uh, Mother Teresa is being made a saint, but uh, evidently it turns out that the reality of the work that she did was not quite up to what we were made to believe by Indian and Western media. Uh, abstracting from Mother Teresa, what is uh, uh, you know what is the lesson that we need to take, or or is there anything that we you know that we should be learning from this, uh, uh, you know, from this entire decades or uh, you know uh, episodes spanning several decades around Mother Teresa and missionaries of charity? Is it that any any organization uh, you know that claims to do charitable work should be, come under a cloud of suspicion, or any foreigner should come under a cloud of suspicion? What is the lesson that we that we should, you know you would want your viewers to take? It's very striking that even the Vatican three days back put out a statement saying that this woman is being canonized not because of her charity but because of her holiness and piety. But if you speak to a uh, an Indian journalist, they even if you open your mouth, they start screaming, "Oh, such a great woman! Oh, such a charitable woman with greatest soul in the world!" and blah blah blah. But you know the miracle is a bit suspect. But I I just keep saying, stopping them. Look, look, look. I'm not I'm not talking of the miracle. It's a Catholic miracle. Let let them do their own miracle. I'm talking about the so-called work. The, the the lesson is that I'm I don't want to. I, I think I think any country with self-respect should stop other people from coming in and and dishing out so-called good works. I think that's very, it's nothing to do with, I mean, I'm paranoid that somebody's agent or somebody or the other. If they're an international charity of a very strong repute, you know, obviously in disasters and things like that, um, uh, they can come in for short, short periods of time. But the days of, you know, white person coming in with, with the big robe and all these little black people milling around them, they, 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 the day of that is over. I do not think that that should be allowed, especially it's individuals like Mother Teresa and uh, um, uh, Jack Prager, who uh, operates in Calcutta, also who's a, who's a uh, quite a weird man with racist uh, overtones. So, uh, uh, but now I'm not against uh, big charities as such, because that be too isolationist and also a bit paranoid. Not, not in favor of banning everything like that. No. So uh, this brings us to the end of the of the, of the questions that I had wanted to ask you, uh, Rup Chatterjee. What I will do is there are a couple of questions that have come in over the chat. I would request people to send any questions that they have over the chat and I will uh, ask you those questions. So uh, while people, are, people are, are, are sending in their questions, I will start with a couple of them that have come in. Uh, the first one is that uh, can Dr. Chatterjee cover her support for the Duvaliers and were the Duvaliers the only repressive dictators she was close to or, or was there a pattern? And for people who have not read your book, yes, you do talk about uh, her visit uh, and her, uh, her statements in support of the First Lady as well as the President out there. Uh, do you want to talk about that uh, for, our, for our viewers? No, what about Marcos? I mean, she was a great friend of uh, Imelda Marcos and Ferdinand Marcos. I mean, they're very repressive people, killed a lot of people. I mean, they're not as ruthless, as, they were not brutal as the Valiers who actually used to feed uh, people to the dogs. Um, cut them up and feed them to the dogs. Uh, but the, Imelda Marcos gave her unlimited amount of money. We don't even know how much how much she gave. I'm, I also want to talk about this a man called Ronald Reagan, who was an extremely close friend of hers. She had a special uh, entry uh, door to the to the White House, and she had a special room earmarked for her. Um, and, and Ronald Reagan was a vicious man who uh, bombed and killed the whole um, uh, cabinet of Grenada when they didn't vote according to his wishes. He uh, uh, supplied arms to Sandinistas, um, contra rebels, uh, because he wanted to fight the Sandinistas. He created the Taliban account along with Mrs. Thatcher, 
So these are the sort of people she cultivated. And also Pinochet was a great fan of hers. Probably she received a lot of money from uh, Pinochet as well. Um, there was uh, any right-wing, extreme right-wing, vicious Catholic dictator was a great fan of hers. And there would be no questions asked. Anything at, at the her, her hands were stretched. Give me as much as you can. I don't care where this money came from. In case of the rebellions, it came from obviously spreasing his people, people of Haiti, Haiti, and also from narcotic trade, which the Duvalier family were involved in in a big way. So support from bloodthirsty dictators from across the world, money from child trafficking. Very interesting. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm speechless. There's, very, there's a very interesting Same. question that, uh, that someone has uh, sent in that and, and I'm uh, going to read that out. Uh, Sundar says that with all the RTI, which is the right to information, public interest litigation and social media, do you think it can be revisited and accounts explained better? Will you be taking it forward or have you given up? I have given up on the accounts actually because I'm not an accounts type person. I'm sure somebody, you know, I'm, I'm a bit tired doing all this by my own. Why doesn't somebody else who has got an account type brain? Because I'm a more an abstract type person, a bit uh, different. So why can't you, uh, some of you, one of you, take this up and 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 do this? Yeah, because I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to do it to be honest with you. Okay, I think we have a fair number of uh, you know of uh, social media warriors. I hope one of them uh, or more than one of them take that up. Uh, there is a question that says uh, that asks. Is there an Indian journalist that has had it in him or her to stay open to the possibility and maybe uh, Mother Teresa was, was not so noble? So we have covered the, the, no, the nobility part of Mother Teresa, I think, uh, in fair depth. But in, your, uh, in, all, in all these years, have you come across any Indian journalist that you would want to call out who has approached this with a slightly more than open mind? I think the one is Vanda K. Dattare. He was uh, he was okay. I mean, he was he was very skeptical. He is rather, but quite skeptical of her. But you know, I mean, nobody has this uh, sense of pride which I have as a, as a, a person of Indian origin. And why should uh, this Albanian nun wrongly portray an Indian person to be so helpless and to be uh, to be beholden to Catholic charity? So obviously, nobody has my has my uh, uh, brutal obsession. But uh, I think I can think of only only that person and nobody else amongst the thousands and thousands of Indian journalists with so many agenda. And also they are very worried that if they take it on, that they will lose their job and they will probably be jobless. But there are there are lots of Indian rationalists who do that, but they're not very well known or powerful. There, I found a lot of a band of people who are anti-monetarism. What a tragedy! But, but they're not. They're are our eminent Indian journalists refuse to take that up? Uh, there's a question that asks, how did Dr. Chatterjee begin researching Teresa? And I think, uh, uh, I, I, you know, you covered it and I've said that it was the wrong portrayal of Calcutta. And you say that your family has uh, been in Calcutta for, you know, as long as the city has been in, in existence. Uh, you also write in, in very graphic terms, somehow Calcutta was being portrayed in the, you know, in the media. And uh, if, I, if memory serves me right, you, uh, there are two Portrayals of Calcutta I want to talk about, uh, if I can. Uh, one of them is uh, uh, where you write about uh, uh, crows picking, someone writing that crows picking bones uh, of, uh, of a corpse. And you say it's, it's if anyone who has studied yes. medicine will say it's a medical imp impossibility almost. Uh, so is this really what was your trigger for investigating Mother Teresa in the first place? Or were, was there more than one cause for it? No, um, much, much. And the city of joy also was one. Uh, yes, that was in a biography of Mother Teresa. That a, a person's, uh, uh, one of the bones just disengaged from the finger and just fell on the floor. And the crow jumped in and took it. Uh, the, you know, there are very strong tendons in the fingers. That, the bones don't just drop like that. Uh, and also, don't forget, Mother Teresa's other self, uh, father, so-called father Francis Goray, who's a French Catholic priest, who was rather, he's dead now, I believe. Um, he wrote that in Calcutta streets, there are fetuses everywhere and dogs are eating them. Uh, these, are, these are the things that really got me going, you know, constantly. And you also write that uh, there, uh, uh, you know, was sort of a, a, 
a poverty tourism industry in place where people who came down to foreigners who came down to Calcutta would actually ask to be taken to these sort of slums and some of them would be very disappointed if they didn't find uh, you know, actual imagery matching what they had read. Absolutely. I mean, apparently in Calcutta airport, previously the taxi drivers all, all knew Pilkhana slum. And even from the airport, some people would uh, say, take me to the Pilkhana slum and they would take them. So this is uh, quite disgraceful that the, even the government or the tourism department, I think what they were doing, I mean, they should challenge. You see, even in Sweden is a country of great reputation and image. And even Sweden gets fed up when they are constantly associated with ABBA and, and Saab cars. And I have seen advertisements from the Swedish government on London Underground saying that Sweden is not all about ABBA and Saab, even though these are positive stereotypes. And look at this negative, negative, negative stereotype. And the government is actually in encouraging them in saying that, you know, city of joy. So do you think something is strange or wrong with Indians? I mean, honestly, I have given up. Uh, okay. So there's one uh, question that, which is actually about your book itself, and uh, you know the question is that it, your book is difficult to get hold of and priced by Amazon in the UK at more than a hundred pounds. Is there any chance no, no, no. Uh, of a republication with a reasonable price? No, 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 no. The recent, the new, new book, Untold Story, is exceptionally cheap. It's about three hundred rupees, and I think if you're searching under Final Verdict, you'll get that. But if you search under Untold Story, you'll get a, a very cheap uh, book, which has got no black, uh, color pictures, unfortunately, but it's cheap price. Okay. And Untold Story is what you need. Okay. And uh, this person, I believe, is based in the UK. So this should also be available in the UK, right? That, you know what? That I don't know. I mean, I, I have to ring my... I keep uh, telling my publishers to make it available. I think they have market in America, but not may not be in the UK. But they should... I'm going to write to... Uh, I'm going to write to the publisher tonight saying that, you know, can you make, please make it available to UK? I'm sorry. Yeah, and you know, they're not very. Is an ebook expected? A Kindle, uh, a Google? Yeah, it's been, uh, again, it's been expected. I've been, I've been assured that it's been expected last week. And now they're saying coming week. So I'm re I do apologize. You know, I should, it should be coming out very soon, hopefully. Oh, okay. That would be wonderful news for people to, you know, to get hold of, uh, of your book. Uh, in so okay so uh, you know related to the earlier question of uh, someone taking up uh, the the you know the further investigation and bringing to account uh, mother teresa's missionaries of charity there's one question where the person uh, asks uh, if we can get some guidance on where to start uh, i think i think a pressure group maybe uh, i don't know to be honest with you i was thinking the same line so how do we how do we uh, get to uh, how do we get to the uh, people who are making such a big deal about this person i think i just can't understand i can't imagine how they if we can demythify this woman who is already so much i think you should start from journalists and if liberal journalists uh, or journalists from religious journalists they come together and they say look you know this is a woman who has denigrated india this is a woman or post-contraception in, a, in a, a country like India, and they start writing articles. If one of you guys have got any journalistic uh, sort of um, outreach, and you start writing articles, even on the web, they're saying that, and keep religion out of it as, as much as you can, but if you say, look, as a, as a, as even from secular point of view, liberal point of view, uh, we want to make sure, we want to tell the world that this woman had finest treatments in all the best hospitals in the world, but gave her residents terrible care, tortured them almost. This is a woman who uh, didn't spend any time in Calcutta hardly in the last 25 years, but then uh, why, why is she called Mother of Calcutta? So if you, if a good journalist starts start writing, if, even if you have a web savvy and write in you know, blogs and scroll in or first put or whatever it is, you know, proud, uh, Courageous articles, not like pussy putting on her, she was great, but just tear her down because she has had so much build up. Don't be afraid. Don't look at the other side. Which other, her good side, so-called, has been looked at for 60 years. Just concentrate how an awful person she was and, and tell people. And so publicize. I think that's what, how you could do it. Uh, on... 
I think that's wonderful advice. We have started to see some articles come out uh, from some online web magazines. I think, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm hopeful that uh, other people will take this on and we will start to see some more investigative and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, strong articles on that. Uh, an interesting question from, uh, you know, it says that there, there does exist a tradition of decanonizing of saints Unfortunately, Mother Teresa's canonization is more political than spiritual. Uh, so, I, I don't know whether saints can be. I don't know about this because I don't know Catholic theology that well. Okay. Uh, I don't know what I don't have to do to de decanonize. Surely she hasn't. Uh, you can start a campaign, I'm sure, but then whether what's the nitty gritty of that? What's the uh, how you even to upset the Vatican by a, a petition, how, what you have to do, I don't know. I'll, I'll have to look into it, whether what's the process of, of to start the decanonization. And if we can, say, gather 100,000 signatures, and then they have to look into it, if that's a law, then I would love to do it. Um, and really and truly, we should, as this chap said, we should worry more about the Bharat Ratna than the sainthood. We should recall the Bharat Ratna and perhaps we should start a petition that a woman who uh, insulted Indians, I'm not a religious person, I'll make it very clear, but who insulted Indians by converting them when they were you know, dying, does not merit the Bharat Ratna. And if posthumously retract it is what I would say. And also, when, uh, another please, uh, well, if I can say, when you write your articles on, 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 online or, or anywhere else, please keep the religious attack to the minimum because then people just get uh, you know just dismiss you saying that oh yeah you're, you're coming from a uh, hindu fanatic uh, viewpoint just say that look i'm not coming from religious people i'm coming from a neutral viewpoint then mention the conversion obviously but uh, shouldn't be attacked just because she was a catholic uh dr arup chatterjee i wish to thank you on behalf of uh, swaraj and indic academy from the butterfly from the bottom of my heart, I hope uh, people on, on this webinar have enjoyed it and have uh, learned from it as much as I did uh, from this webinar as well as from reading your book. And uh, I will be putting this video up on YouTube in the next couple of days and send out a link to everyone on, uh, on Twitter uh, and, and elsewhere. Any closing comments you, you have for us, uh, Arup? Oh, no, no, I, 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 my, please, my plea, my plea, please do something about this. Just challenge the myth and make sure it goes out. You know, don't just sit there because I, I'm not internet savvy as I've been those. I, I'm sure you guys can do it, blogs and things like that. And, and just do it from a, from, a, from a neutral human angle. That this one not was, an, an, was inhuman. We have to tell, let, let, that, uh, let that go out. Okay, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Arup Chatterjee, and uh, good day and good evening to everyone, and uh, till the next uh, Q&A. Thank you and bye. Thank you very much. You're very kind. You're very well informed. Thank you. Thank you.